progressive, respectful, mentoring, compassionate. These are the values of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. And now we proudly present Palmdale Regional Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Use of opioids has skyrocketed in recent years, and as a result, addiction to them has increased as well. More and more often, people are looking for alternatives to the use of opioids for acute and chronic pain management. Welcome to Palmdale Regional Radio. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing interventional pain management and alternative to opioids. Joining me is Dr. Jespreet Singh. He's a double board certified physician in pain management and physical medicine and rehabilitation, and he's a member of the medical staff at Palmdale Regional Medical Center. Dr. Singh, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Before we get into pain management, this burgeoning field that you're in, tell us a little bit about pain itself. And since it's so subjective, how do you measure it? When it comes to pain, the first step is to decide what type of pain it is. We can generally put them in two broad categories, nociceptive pain or neuropathic pain. Nociceptive pain is like mechanical pain. This is if you get burns, that's a pain coming from your joints. This is the achy pain from your muscles. Neuropathic pain, as the word might suggest, is more the nerve pain. That's burning, tingling, maybe some weakness. So typically we decide what type of pain it is because the way we're going to address these two pains is very different. The biggest thing about pain management is coming up with the diagnosis. Often when I see patients, they usually come with low back pain. Low back pain, unfortunately, is not a diagnosis. I typically rely on a good history, a physical exam and imaging to figure out what the pain generator is and then come up with an individualized plan for that specific patient to treat that pain generator. So then what are some of those things that might be pain generators that you're dealing with? What have been the parameters or guidelines for prescription of opioids in the past and what's different now? Tell us a little bit about stewardship and things that you might look to to help someone with their pain besides opioids. So once we figure out what the pain generator is, for example, let's talk about facet-generated low back pain. Facet joints are the small joints that run from your neck to all the way down to the low back, and that's one of the most common pain. Now, that's coming from a joint, so that's mechanical pain, nociceptive pain. This causes inflammation. So the first choice of drug should be an anti-inflammatory, just like ibuprofen, and now we have a lot more anti-inflammatories that are prescription strength then these patients are the ones that are going to go to physical therapy. And not just focusing on patients' pain, we want to focus on their function. For example, some of my patients, they have grandkids. So all they want to do is be able to lift their grandkids. So we figure out, okay, so what is keeping you from doing that? And how do we go about helping you with that? So if anti-inflammatories, physical therapies, or muscle relaxer medications don't help, then we go with the interventional management route. So what interventional pain management is, we do injections, and there are a number of injections we do, but they're all done with a purpose. Just speaking of the facet pain, what we do is we do a facet injection or a medial branch block. If that helps the patient, obviously it helped them, but it confirmed the diagnosis that that's where the pain was coming from. Now, in the future, we can do radiofrequency ablation, which burns those nerves, and that lasts six months to a year. So I have some patients that come to me every six months to a year and get that done. And we never start opioids on those patients. 
The reason opioid became so huge was when it was mandated to become a fifth vital sign. So every time you went to go see your doctor or even a hospital, for whatever reason, they would always ask you about your pain. And because, like you said, pain is so subjective, people were getting all sorts of numbers. Just like if your blood pressure was high, you would get a medication to bring that down. If the patient's pain was, say, six, seven, eight, even though they were able to have a conversation, because they said it was a six, now they need a medication to bring that down to a two or a three or even lower. So every time you went in, you got more opioids, and that became the first-line drug to reduce pain, no matter where your pain was coming from, no matter what the reason for your pain was. And then it was a big pendulum. Then when the opioids became a problem, then the pendulum shifted the other way. Now it was, hey, we can't give opioids at all. And that was a problem too, because some patients actually do need opioids, especially for acute pain. Post-surgical pain, there is a need for opioids, but a lot of the surgeons now that were giving six, seven days supply of their medications didn't feel comfortable doing that anymore. So now the pendulum is this way. There was a study in University of Michigan that what they followed was they followed dentists and ophthalmologists. So one was a small eye procedure and the other one was a root canal. They found that 50% of the patients that had root canals, six months from their root canal, they were still on opioids. They found 55% of the patients that had that eye procedure, six months down the line, they were still on opioids. So that's what gave rise to the opioid epidemic. And unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the opioid epidemic is actually getting worse, but it's very under the radar. That's so interesting, and thank you for telling us about injection therapy and other types of procedures available. So, as you said, that it's the pendulum is swinging back and forth. Tell us about some of the things that patients can do on their own. You've mentioned NSAIDs and injections. What can they do at home as far as exercise, lifestyle, meditation, relaxation, biofeedback. There are so many ways today. Speak about some of those. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of things that patients can do. So I usually compare sometimes pain management to cardiology. If you have heart problems, you get medication, but you have to make lifestyle changes as well. You do all the preventative things that you're supposed to. Same thing goes for pain management. Of course, you need medications, interventions, but when you go to physical therapy, you go with the goal to learn a home exercise program. So every time, I don't like to send my patients blindly to physical therapy because we get limited number of sessions per year. I only send my patients for like five, six sessions and keep the remaining in our back pocket in case a patient need, quote unquote, a tune-up later on down the line. But you go there, you learn a home exercise program, and you make that part of your life, daily part of your life, do 20 to 30 minutes of those exercises. Another part of pain management that often gets ignored is behavioral health. If a lot of patients that have, say, depression, bipolar disease, other psychiatric problems, if they're not addressed, their pain will not get better. So I tell my patients, I've never met anyone who is depressed and their pain be controlled and vice versa. So if you're in pain, obviously your mood is not going to be controlled. So I typically team up with, depending on patient's insurance, with local behavioral health expert and form a partnership with them so that between us, I can help with pain and they can help with mood. And they do a lot of biofeedback as well. So this way, patient gets an insight in their own diagnosis and they can be well-rounded and we can provide a better multimodal approach. 
Well, that's what's so important is that multimodal approach. You've given us really something to think about, Dr. Singh. As we wrap up, please give listeners your best advice that are suffering from chronic pain, whether it is in their back or their legs or their knees, wherever they suffer pain, and why you think it's important for them to see an interventional pain management specialist. Tell us a little bit about what's exciting in your field and give the listeners your best advice about pain. I tell my patient, you know, don't be okay with just living with pain. Often chronic pain, it's called chronic for a reason. So if you come to me and you're thinking, hey, my pain will be zero, that might not be true. But if you're living at a six, seven, my goal is to bring you down to like a two to a four. This way we go back to the functional aspect of things. So your pain is lower where you can do things that you enjoy doing. And also, you don't have to come to me. Anyone you go to, you make sure you do your research because not all pain doctors are alike. So make sure that your physician that you're going to is fellowship trained in pain management. And that's very important because if you're not fellowship trained, then you're not trained on a lot of the interventions that are out. And, you know, we talked about the injections, radiofrequency ablations, but now technology in the past five to 10 years have changed significantly. So if you're a patient who's had a back surgery, but still have back pain, leg pain, there are other modalities. So what we do is spinal cord stimulation. So spinal cord stimulation is kind of like pacemaker for the heart, going back to the cardiology. What we do is we put these two leads in your spine and we do a trial, meaning it's a test drive before you actually get the implant. You go home for seven days and you compare what your quality of life was prior to the procedure and after. Seven days later, you come back, we pull the leads out from your back and we haven't changed your body. It was no surgery, but you decided that was worth it. And then you get the implant. So that's been huge in reducing opioids use, and there's level one data. And this therapy has actually been around since the 1970s. Some of the other things that we're doing is doing a lot of minimally invasive lumbar decompression. So patients that have a lot of chronic comorbidities like diabetes, COPD, they can't be put under for surgery. There are other options for you. Next time when you're at the grocery store, just see a lot of the older people that are there. They're always leaning on the grocery carts. Because when they bend forward, their pain gets better. And that's called spinal stenosis with neurogenic claudication. So there is hope for these patients. They just need to see their right physician. And I think opioids is not something that you need to rely on. Great information. So important for us to hear. And thank you for telling us what's going on in this burgeoning field of pain management. Thank you again for joining us. You're listening to Palmdale Regional Radio with Palmdale Regional Medical Center. Please visit our website at palmdaleregional.com for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. Please also remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Palmdale Regional Medical Center podcasts. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. I'm Melanie Cole.